0: episode 46 of the uc architects the world's most popular exchange link and office 365 podcast this episode was recorded on saturday december 13th 2014 i'm your host link mvp pat richard on today's show, we'll be ta- uh, talking as ever about what's hot in the Microsoft UC world and bringing you this week's latest news. But first, a little business. Uh, this UC Architects episode is sponsored by Instant Technologies, experts in enterprise click-to-chat and e-discovery solutions. Instant Technology announces Instant Chime for Microsoft Link. Transform your service desk with Chime and move your support operations from endangered species to wise enterprise. Start your Chime trial at uh, www.adchime.com and join the conversation on Twitter via TeamInstant. And this UC Architects episode is also sponsored by eNow. eNow is offering all UC Architects listeners a free $50 Amazon gift card when you install MailScape for Exchange or Uniscope for Link. Enow's award winning dashboard helps admins quickly and effectively monitor servers and create custom reports. Try MailScape or Uniscope's free 21 day trial, get a $50 gift card, and see how Eno makes uh, admin life simplified. Uh, simply visit the link in our blog post to sign up. And today I am joined by uh, John Cook, Dave Stork, Michelle DeRoy, Steve Goodman, and Tom Arbuthnod. What a crew today! Uh, today, let's uh, let's head into our uh, top story. So the first one that's come up since our last episode is the the big announcement: the next version of Link as uh, Skype for Business. And uh, I don't think it surprised too many people that uh, I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I wasn't I wasn't shocked. Of course, some of us kind of I heard about it ahead of time. But um, you know, what do you think about rebranding it uh, and the name change?
1: How much time we got today?
2: We certainly had a lot of comments from listeners Uh, in our LinkedIn group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I. I, And overall, it's a mixed response. Yes. The the one thing that that makes me not particularly bothered about the rebrand is often if I'm telling someone, a potential link customer, what it is, I'll tell them it is a Skype for Business, but they have integration with their local directory and they have all the administrative control. And then they go, yeah, oh, I, I get that. So I think it's going to make it easier for potential link cost- customers to understand. Uh, yeah, I it mean, could I, work against it in terms of the value. That I, similar I understand to why they the did it, you know, now. from a business perspective. I mean, it makes sense, I guess, for Microsoft to do
1: it. I mean, you know, <clears throat> we went through this when they changed most MLCS to, to Link, right? But at first, it was like, Link, what the hell is that? But, you know, that kind of grew, and it actually, you know, kind of, it's better, you know, in, in hindsight, I think it was better than Microsoft Communications Server 14, right? <laughs> 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 but... um I, I just think, you know, my opinion is I, a lot of it is, is dependent on what your experience with Skype was to begin with. Like, you know, if you had always had good experience with Skype, I think there's a good connotation with that change. If you thought Skype kind of sucks, which I kind of do, to be honest with you, then I'm not thrilled by it in the sense that, because to me, every time I've ever heard a recording of a podcast I like or whatever, and somebody's using Skype, the audio quality would always go to crap at some point, you know? So, you know, my connotation is a little bit different,
2: I guess. Uh, listen to episode one.
0: <laughs> and, uh, well, yeah. You know, I I I um I would tell people uh, the same thing when trying to describe you know what you do for a living and say you know it's kind of Skype for business, um, Skype for the enterprise or whatever, um but you know the the, the issue that I can see <laughs> popping up now is. You know, you go into an organization and they say, you know, we want to do link and you say, well, you know, now it's uh, Skype for business. And they say, well, you know, my four-year-old grandson can set up Skype on my uh, iPad. So how hard could this be? Why are you trying to charge me a zillion dollars? So I'm not I'm not too keen you think on, it, you on think the, it
2: values the it values the business proposition.
0: I, yeah, so I, like, th- I think. So. If you,
2: yeah. So if we compare it to something like Google Apps everything google do you can get for free if they do for business you can get it you get the same thing for free mm-hmm. yet people still buy it this isn't the same thing it it has a lot lot more to offer even if it's just as part of link online it has more to offer than skype as a consumer product so i i, I think it's i and i have had the same challenge with office 365 where people say where some organizations uh so, some that that might even be listening out where they use Skype and the question is well we we already use Skype in the, in our business to communicate across you know all our different countries so what business value does link add
3: yeah i, so I think that's a be they were, the, the are already asking
2: those but they're already asking those questions these aren't new questions and you know it doesn't cost a zillion dollars uh it, and, and when people are actually seriously looking at replacing a phone system, just because it's called Skype for business, they're not gonna go, Oh well, I'll go with Cisco uh instead because Skype sounds like it should be cheap.
0: Oh I I'd yeah, be opinion. surprised. <laughs> I think it's a bit <laughs> yeah, I, I, to, people say it,
2: but will they mean it? Are they just saying it be- and then they'll go, Oh, I suppose.
0: No, I mean, I think it. I think it adds a little bit of confusion. It, as much as you know, we, we all know that the Skype and Link are part of the same family at Microsoft, and um, you know, Skype definitely has more deployed seats. Um, I think something like thirty-five percent of all international voice traffic is uh, worldwide is uh, Skype. Um, I I guess I can see it from a marketing perspective. Um, you know why you'd combine them into the same family. Uh, but I look back and I think, well, originally instant messaging was part of Exchange and then it was spun off and, you know, eventually became um, LCS, live communication server. Then it was OCS. Then it was Link. Now it's going to be Skype for Business. I mean, you know, you talk about uh, an identity issue there. It's, uh, it, I think it's just <laughs> a little confusing. And uh, but Well, I –
3: yeah, if, if you look at uh, the rebranding of um, uh, SkyDrive and the, the uh, SharePoint Workspaces, Groove, and, and, and OneDrive for Business, everybody is, is mistaking OneDrive for Business for OneDrive and vice versa. And I'm you know, a little bit concerned that that will, might happen with Skype and Skype for Business.
2: Well, I mean, if we look at Exchange, email is something. People, people have had free email accounts don't, from all sorts of for years.
3: It's Please not gonna... don't say Outlook for business. <laughs> but, well, th- that's the point, though, but
2: is th- that's already happened but the other way around. So it used to be Hotmail. Yeah. It was rebranded Outlook. So, you know, everyone on the ground yeah. yeah. has got a yeah. yeah. Hotmail account that's actually Outlook. If you log into Office 365, then sometimes it'll go to Outlook.com. It's quite easy for people to actually mistake the fact that they're logging into a consumer s- service versus uh, an enterprise service because they look the same and look they they do the kind of same thing as well if you you can send and receive an email already between any different provider so what value does exchange on prem have uh, or office 365 when you can get it for free uh, from hotmail so that's all that's already happened but people are already happy with it
0: Yeah, but you know what? The on-prem solution for email from Microsoft has always been Exchange. It hasn't changed names four times, and and that's kind of my point is, you know, you talk to somebody about Exchange, they know what that is. They know the proven track record. Um, Which changed
1: one time from I mean, male.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, so. yeah, you're right. But I mean, how how long ago was that? You know, 15 years. <laughs> a ago? A long time ago. Um, you know, I I just think it's it's hard to follow a bouncing ball. You know, when the name keeps keeps changing like that. But you know, I, I understand why it makes sense to bring, um, bring that somewhat together. But at the same time, you're you're still going to have two different clients. You're going to have a Skype for Business client and the consumer Skype client. Now, this consumer Skype client can certainly you know uh, talk to. Um, you know, enterprises via uh, federation, that that seems to work too. But now you've got two different clients that are capable of doing, you know, somewhat two different uh, uh, modalities uh, lists.
1: Yeah, and that's a good point because one of the things, um, you know, you, you realize even with the link client um, on, say, Windows 8, now we're going to have the Skype client, the, you know, uh, either desktop and or, you know, Windows modern side and the link client, or now Skype for business client, and it's already kind of confusing if you look at it from, you know, setting default apps. You're like, well, which Skype client is this, you know? And, uh, you know, so I think there's a challenge there of keeping them separate on Windows 8 in that sense. It's like, you know, there's still that pain point today with to link, but um, that's one thing oh. that's kind of confusing right? As
2: Dave says, we have that with OneDrive for Business at the moment, where, you know, at the moment I have two OneDrives. And yeah, true. But well, I, I managed to work out which one's which, but I can see how people couldn't. Well, uh, I'm not as so smart as you. <laughs> I, I I'm not that smart. Uh, but but yeah, I another comment I well another comment I've guys is, is I have, you know, tried to use Skype for business purposes uh, with a customer and it was a nightmare trying to find people because he, Because even though, you know, unless you regularly communicate with these people, if you're trying to communicate with people across a large business, then with Skype it just doesn't work because, you know, you search for a Skype ID or something like that, and you don't know whether that's... There might be ten people with the same name that come up on the list. And... Some of those aren't in your organisation. And we were literally, we were like ringing people in, you know, to, uh, a country in Africa, hoping we got the right one, and just double-checking. We're like going, well, this one's oh. got a Spanish name. <laughs> yes, yeah, literally. And they're like, hola. <laughs> and you're like, uh, una cerveza, por favor. <laughs> I just don't understand at all. Well, it's the only Spanish I know. What am I supposed to do? Uh, una sex on the beach. <laughs> Poor <Trevor. laughs> That's that, that's my that that's the extent of my Spanish. Sorry, Spanish. Listen. Uh, so 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 it's almost impossible to find people that you're looking for within a business when you're searching amongst millions outside your organisation. That people who are using it can see the challenges that they have. So well, if they are using Skype at the moment, they'll see the benefit of the business product. Yeah, I, I well. I I think that's a valid point. So, should we we read out some of the comments from our listeners, then? I've got some on screen here. Uh, So, uh, Sean Harry, uh, regular listener, first-time caller, says, It's great news. Why did it take so long, though? There's no question it will help drive brand awareness and adoption for S4B link even more. So, very positive. Nick Field says, I'm okay with it, but I kind of wish I didn't have to train staff on another user interface change. Just after we complete our Link 2013 rollout, it was an upgrade from OCS 2007 R2.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, you know, let me let me chime in on that piece because you know, the, for for those people that have access to the Skype for Business client, it, you know, it is an interface change, but those interface changes are largely due to comments. Um, from customers that said, you know, hey, you know, we don't like this, or we do like this, or this could be better, or whatever, and, and Microsoft taking those into consideration and, and optimizing things. There's a lot of things, even with this pre-release client, that um, have have been, I, I would say, quote-unquote, fixed over the Link 2013 client. So, I mean, there's always going to be an evolution of the, the user interface as, as new features gain in popularity or, um, you know, are tweaked. Well, I did say to
2: Nick. Would you like to be able to somehow switch it to the old interface? And he said, no, as much as I might seem like I'm grumbling, I wouldn't want to create any more confusion by having companies able to choose what branding to have in the client. Personally, if there's only two things I'd like to see in the new Skype for Business, one would be better management of phone numbers instead of having to rely on third-party scripts or modules. The other would be better response groups so I don't have to
0: build a a full call
2: center solution. So... It's still link problems that people have that they want fixed less about the skype for business
0: well and and those those two things that he uh, said he would fix I mean um, you know we can't really comment on features that are changed or added or removed in the in the version that's not out yet, but response groups has always been the number one most requested feature uh, in uh, on the link idea scale site. Uh, you know, dozens and dozens of people have have voted that up as, you know, an area for potential improvement. And uh, I, I certainly would agree. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how those things change when the product finally hits the streets.
1: They should call it Bing for Business. And then you can say, I'm going to Bing. Somebody. Yes. <laughs> well,
2: uh, I did say, well, why don't they change the enterprise search to Bing for Business. And that and someone did believe me. <laughs> uh, so Chris Haywood said, I personally thought Link was a brilliant brand name. I am sad to see it has been superseded after such a short time, but onwards and upwards with Skype for Business. So sad, but positive. Alex Jordan, though, seriously, you know it's not April the 1st, right? Windows 10, (laughs) and now Skype for Business, someone somewhere needs to take a long, hard think about product marketing, as it's a mistake to drop the link name.
1: Feeling me you started about happy. Windows 10. I still have a. I have no ability to process how you go from eight to ten without you just you know answering my. Well, how to do that? I do. I don't.
2: I don't think they can counter Microsoft. What was the other one? Was it the, the, the cloud first or mobile first? It's like, but which ones first? Both. Okay. <laughs> Joseph, uh, I can't, I'm not going to attempt to do your surname because I can't even do <laughs> <laughs> some of uh, my ghosts. Uh, so Joseph uh, says, I get that the Skype name is certainly one that is known globally, but I do have a concern about this product X and product X for business uh, that Microsoft is going with. As someone who works with Office 365, you, you users already struggle with understanding the separation between OneDrive and OneDrive for Business, as Dave Stalk said, OneDrive and OneDrive for Business. Trying to explain that these are separate products with different clients can be exhausting. Because if you think of it, obviously we explain to some of the, the business, but users who have this in front of them on the desk, they don't care. And the likes of us are never going to get, well, rarely going to get in front of them to explain it. We have similar confusion with Office 365 and Office 365 Home Personal. He's very right there, isn't he? Uh, if you if you say you do Office 365, and they go, Ah, yeah, I saw that in PC World. Uh, on the shelf, it's, that, it is, it's Office 2013 to most people, isn't it? Uh, rather than a big product. Additionally, he says, you can expect documentation to forever be outdated and confusing when the product name changes. When someone posts about an issue in the Skype client, I expect we'll re- rarely see the poster clarify what version is being used. Assuming there are separate business and consumer clients, I understand some of the reasoning behind it, but I'm not overly excited. Yeah, I one think more. It th- it th- right? yeah, it one
1: it's more, more th- confusing than it needs to be um, for businesses. You're right with documentation, training. Again, you're going to have two Skype clients on your on your desktop. You know, if if not more, right? If you consider the the, the Windows 8 side, the Windows modern side, yes. it just it just seems to be a, a just right first confusion.
2: You know? <laughs> it's just- yeah. Yeah, you could you can accidentally have two Skype Right, if it's installed. like, oh, hit me on Skype, Um, which one? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and <laughs> maybe we, you other don't, road,
1: you know, it's going to be one universal client and it won't matter. I mean, maybe that's sort of the thought with it, too, you know?
2: You never know. Uh, I mean, w- 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 one thing at the moment with Skype is if you in- have a Windows 8 box, then it installs. I think my Surface came with Skype installed. Right. Uh, and I-, I didn't want two versions, but it had the, the modern version as well, rather than the desktop mm-hmm. one. So, yeah, it can be confusing. That's like, you know, you end up with three or four Skype clients. And he had one more thought. What will Link Online be called? Will it be just Skype for Skype Business online. as well? <laughs> well <yeah>. Hopefully not <laughs> Skype for Business Online. Yeah, because that, would, <laughs> version that, that would be Skype for Business Online. It's the cloud version of Skype. Oh, <laughs> yeah. What are they going to call it? Graham Copley, he wants to be mentioned in every episode we do. Hello, Graham. Uh, Graham uh, has a lot to say. I'll miss out his uh, his comments back to to Joseph above. His opinion is a significant portion of his pre-sales time with smaller clients is explaining to clients what makes it different from Skype. He He disagrees with what I said earlier. He says this won't help. Another client was recently telling me that they've just refreshed their entire desktop range and found a new way to block the Skype client from their network. He seemed pleased to be able to block this non-work activity along with Facebook. This won't help. Skype is, well, all over the world. And as Microsoft's message states, Skype broke down the distance barrier by bringing people together from all over the world. There's no doubt that Skype is massive and it's made its way into everyday language. I'll Skype you later. But Skype also says free, home, consumer and with adverts. Also, by adding the for business to a product name, secretly admits that inherently the product it's based on isn't for business because now we must explicitly say this to avoid confusion because skype is a consumer brand and always will be according to microsoft is skype for business a big enough differentiator to make that clear link was it makes it even harder to swallow when all the recent gains the enterprise voice lines sold the Gartner forrester wave reports he i'm reading out his stuff he makes me sound smart <laughs> <laughs> because it, it, this is all really, this is good stuff. Uh, thank you, Graham, for, for for these comments. They're really good. Uh, they, they've all, they have all been obtained under the Link brand, and now Microsoft are turning their back on such a great achievement with a simple announcement. I'm sure Microsoft have not just pulled the name out of a hat. Oh, I thought I was going to say his ass. Uh, I'm sure there were focus groups, market research, independent analysis. So I know Microsoft will not return our beloved Link name. They didn't act in haste, but. You know, Lexus are not called Toyota for business. I was disheartened at first. I <laughs> wait, did you write that? That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you it's great stuff. I couldn't That's wait true, to read that. Out. But it's true. It's true, isn't it? Toyota. You know, it's the premium brand is is always something different. It's like it's like Seat. they go here's Seat for your your box. Well, VW is a terrible example actually, but. Uh, uh graham's example is good lexus are not called toyota for business are they uh the, there's there's the business one and there's the, the consumer you know personal one and they don't need a separate brand name and having a different name makes it sound like it's worth more anyway i'll carry on reading what he wrote i was disheartened at first i won't lie it feels personal suddenly my job is ex- explicitly associated with a 30 second free download so link mvps does anyone else fit did anyone else feel that in any sort of way? Because if I was called a Hotmail for Business MVP, <laughs> that, that's how I'd feel. Well, there are Excel MVPs, right? I mean, you know. <laughs> but they, they love Excel. I don't love Hotmail. But, but I, I get that. There's, you know, people have built their careers on a technology. But Steve, you're a Yammer
4: MVP, though, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all messaging. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't dislike Yammer, but I don't, you know. But, uh, it, but the, the, you know, you look at it. Anyway, we'll talk about groups and what, and, and exchange a little bit later on. Uh, so, so, yeah, so Graham had a lot to say. There's some more on that. So le- look in our, our island groups. Have we got time for any more? Because I have lots and lots. I, We have a few more pages
3: of comments. No. (laughs) no, no. There's a lot. If if you check the IM window, we we all voted to cut pieces of your whole monologue out of the the, the podcast. (laughs) At some point, you just
1: have to tell Steve no. We're
2: going to go from intro straight to now yeah I, is he really all lovely is he going to read a lot of links no 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 i'm not going to read the lot uh so so yeah so I, that's a very that there's a lot of you know thought and effort that's went into some of the things that people have uh have uh have said on our linkedin group uh and that's our uc architects linkedin group which pat will mention a little bit later in the show so yeah lot, lots of opinion on that pat
0: yeah, I, I can I can tell definitely. <laughs> Thanks for the spirited comments there, Steve. Um, moving along, um, Microsoft uh, acquired Accompli, and uh, John, you use their applications, right?
1: Yeah, I, I've gone back and forth. There's, you know, there's, a, there's a few. For people who don't know, are not familiar with Accompli, the there's, there's a bunch of different, um, you know, t- kind of mail plus calendar apps, and also some file management stuff. Um, for iOS, um, there's, you know, there's a whole kind of uh, running competition between a bunch of other companies. Um, I use Tempo for calendaring, um, Sunrise, another one. So combo is one of those ones in that, in that vein. So it's kind of a combo, you know, mail client, uh, calendar, file storage, stuff like that. So it's pretty good. Um, the only one downside is it, it seems like on at least the current version on iOS 8, the notifications aren't as fast as say as um, you know, native mail clients, so you don't get, you know, the cell phone seems to be, have to be active for them, for the, for the, uh, notifications to come through. That's my like, well, only one beef with it. But it's a pretty cool client. Um, like I said, I've been using it for a little bit, um, over the years, um, you know, off and on trying out different clients. So it's, it's probably a good call. You know, I, I, I'd probably say it's a really good pickup from Microsoft standpoint. This way they're not necessarily beholden none. You know, if you know if this is going to be the new OWA client or some sort of you know co- you know uh, you know containered, uh mail client for mobile platforms, it's probably a good idea to have everything in one place because you don't have to worry about you know the, the the phone vendor you know giving the best experience for calendaring and email as part of the but, um, you uh, know.
3: Did, so you, less. did have you used the OWA for devices app and uh, how does it compare with uh,
1: a Well, I mean OWA for devices is more to me. You know, more of just like a sort of web page uh, wrapper, sort of. And, 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 you know, it, I mean, it is way more of a of an app, I think, is best way to describe it. So you know, it's you know, it's you know, it's designed to be a native mail app, sort of more than just a you know a window to OA That's how I think of the OA app um, right. on iOS. You know, uh, I, I mean, OWA is great, but it's not you know, it's not really totally baked into the OS too in terms of notification stuff. Some things are there, but some aren't. You know, so comply so, so
2: John, well. Uh, so what do you think of them, uh, of it having to register your details with a third-party server in the middle?
1: Well, you know, this is, always a, this, is, this is one of the reasons why I don't I, for the longest time I wouldn't use any of these apps, right? Because, yeah, I mean, you're basically giving it your, you know, if you're using on-prem, you're giving it your domain creds, which is always dubious. And, again, to be honest with you, that's one thing I will never do. On Android, I don't trust any application, to, unless I know it's, you know, Microsoft or somebody, but, you know, how many times have you downloaded an app off the, off the Play Store and it's like, yeah, give me your RDP credentials, your, your RD gateway credentials. I'm like, hell no, I don't know who you people are. You know what I mean? Um, so even with, you know, we all, you know, uh, uh, Apple can be with the App Store and getting apps through, there's still a concern to me that, you know, it's always dubious to me, you know, giving your credentials to some company, especially, like I said, as if, whether it your actual on-prem AD
2: credentials, you know, um, like, one thing uh, that, it
3: might it might even be uh, against your company policy or even uh, yeah but you wouldn't know from, is true?
2: you wouldn't know from downloading and using the app it doesn't warn you
3: well, yeah. but i suppose as it you know as as it's bought by
2: microsoft things may change what, what yeah right gives it mean, one, one thing i did notice that it did better than the owa app is that the reason that after a few days i get annoyed with the owa app is is is, is it doesn't update in the background uh, a company seems to do a better job of updating in the background like a normal ActiveSync client, even though it isn't.
0: Okay, and that, that does it for the top stories uh, for this episode. <laughs> Heading into the Exchange topics, uh, lots of updates this past Tuesday. Um, among them, uh, Cumulative Update 3 for Exchange 2013 and… Uh, cumulative Update 7. Oh, seven. Cumulative yeah. Update 7. Sorry, <laughs> that's a typo in my notes here. Um and Exchange 2010 SP3 update Rollup 8, which was re-released as V2. We'll talk about that in a second. And uh, Exchange 2007 SP3 update roll-up 15. Um, so lots of updates uh, out. Um, way too many things to list here as to items that are addressed. But more importantly, Microsoft uh, discovered another issue after uh, an update was deployed, and that was uh, update roll-up 8. Uh for exchange twenty ten s p three so a new version was released um, yesterday friday and um, and fixes an issue that was discovered so uh, yet another kind of uh, uh, black eye on the uh, the exchange updates i mean this is kind of getting old yeah. no well, it, up- it, it, at least it was an
3: uh, update roll up which you can uh, uninstall unlike a cumulative update so that that's yeah. a small, small. Uh, Win, um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> small, small bright light, and yet I mean, again, it's not a big deal. But but you're right, it's it's just like, it, it's, you know, it's it's sort of sad. This is a legacy now of like every updates, st- you know, not every, but I mean, yeah. it's a, just a bad track record lately, you know. And uh... it's scary, you know. I mean, well, you know, we've we'll been lucky with well, Link. we haven't had any major problems with any updates in a long time, but.
3: I'm- I'm not sure uh, which um, – um, well, the, the last time there was an issue with, uh, with an update, it was always uh, 2013, and this time uh, Comdif Update 7 was delayed for a month uh, because of an issue, an installation issue. And uh, it seems as, as if the 2013 Comdif Update is a good update. Uh, it's, it's probably too early to, to, to tell. Um, so that's, that's a benefit. Uh, or or uh, you could see that as a progress um, but um, I, I'm not sure um, whether the update rollups of 2010 were had any issues before uh this one actually it, because it was uh, consistently 2013 that had issues with updating and now 2010 has an update so it it still it feels uh, different to me uh, and it's uh, been a while since we've
2: had a re-released Exchange 2010 update. Uh, exactly. I,
3: yeah, that's my point. Yeah.
2: It, so that, that, there's been a reasonably good track record, and that's probably why a few people have got caught out by it. Because the the update roll-ups have been fairly straightforward for Exchange 2010. Nothing really bad has happened. Uh, so I think people have gained a bit of confidence in it. And it reminds you, of course, you know, you still need to you still need to test.
1: Well, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, there's no doubt. And, and again, like I said, it's it's sort of, uh, you know, you're supposed to have 100% faith in these, right? <laughs> yeah, but,
2: well, no. But I mean, what what, no. vendor, what vendor makes perfect patches? Well, I'm not trying to be down on them either, but, you know. The, the amount of the times again, that I've I installed, installed an Oracle no patch. Problems. I've installed Oracle patches, and they come with three pages of things you have to fix after it's been installed.
3: That's, that, <laughs> Reminds
2: me of Linux mode updates. Yeah. So, you know. Software is not going to be perfect. If it was, we wouldn't need the updates.
3: And and, and, and I was glad that they delayed the come update seven because they detected an issue. Uh, so they they did a preemptive uh, action on that. Uh, unfortunately, then in the 2010, in another update that was also delayed because they wanted to roll out all the updates at the same time. And, uh, an issue was discovered. So that that's too bad, but. Um, in the uh, in, in the greater scheme of things, I see uh, the, uh, progress.
1: Well, I mean, I I also you know see it as <laughs> you know uh, you know uh, well, on prem. What's that? You know, it's just it, it, it lends itself more even to me. It's just my personal opinion. It lends itself to that 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 to feed that 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 concept like you know, On prem is on its way out, and we're not going to care about it anymore. You know what I mean? Because they can't
2: no, test... No, I don't know about that. Well,
1: uh, but see, go on, but let, me, let me finish. So, you know, but also we know that some of the testing programs aren't what they used to be, right, in terms well, of how many people have been testing the, the
2: product. There's not, as we know it, going to be in another service pack for 2010, at least not on the horizon at the moment. Yeah, no, so I, There's not going to be any tap for Exchange 2010. So who's going to be testing, uh, testing patches in the field, really? you know, They might get the the patches. You know, MVPs may or may not get the patches made available to them, but who's got that environment to test it in, yeah, but uh, or the motivation?
0: It was a bit worrying. There was an elementary connection from of to 2010, which wasn't always working.
3: That's basic testing stuff,
0: in my opinion. Well, I, I give yeah. like, my... I yeah. give yeah, Microsoft a lot of credit that you know uh, th- the update was released originally on Tuesday. They immediately discovered a problem and um, disabled the link so you couldn't download it anymore. Yeah. And it had an and updated version out on Friday. Um, yeah, it's bad that they had the uh, the issue to begin with, but I think the fast turnaround is is.
3: Oh, totally agree. Yeah, it's oh, totally. it a good thing yeah. too. So. Yeah, um, they and out they got and it fixed. To to make the the story more complete, there was also an Outlook 2010 hotfix that is also pulled. I don't have the uh, knowledge base article uh, at hand, but uh, uh, so that was a funny.
2: Uh, yeah, so there was there's an Outlook 2010 update that was released. Uh, which I suppose we can cover that very, very quickly, uh, that gives the mappy HTTP...
1: Out. Yeah, I was going to say, it added some functionality. I forgot what it was. Yeah, that's... that's. Yes,
2: was. but so quite good functionality, uh, and also quite worrying functionality if you're using Office 365, because obviously it will have some bandwidth and uh, TCP connection implications uh, if it suddenly gets deployed to your environment. Uh, but it got pulled, I think, uh, to, you know, so due to issues yes, with the way it worked. Uh, I can't mm-hmm. remember the no public the reason, uh, so... Uh, um, but not a serious reason, to be honest, uh, from what I read. Uh, so it's been called Get Fixed. Uh, it's, it's not the kind of issue that I believe would have caused, you know, Clark disconnections all over the place. Uh, it certainly wasn't as bad as, uh, the, uh, as the update roll-up issues.
3: No, 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 that's true. But I'm I'm, I'm mentioning it because uh, if if people are troubleshooting the uh, exchange uh, server side with the, uh, 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 the bad update rollup, well, do mention that. Uh, do remember that there's also an Outlook 2010 update that might uh, have an impact on your environment, and check that as well.
2: Well, the, the the two will never meet. So the update rollup for 2010. Uh, will affect some customers. The other customers, uh, well, if they had a mixed environment, but it will never affect one client with one server, uh, because the 2010 update uh, was for Outlook 2010 connecting to Exchange 2013 with uh, MAPI HTTP
3: enabled. Oh, right, okay, yeah, right, right, right. Well, in a, in a, a coexistence environment then.
2: Yeah, but you probably wouldn't switch it on until you moved everyone to 2013,
3: really, would you? I'm, I'm saving my face here. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that can be also fixed lots of other things, so it could be that
0: organizations don't have maybe over HTTP enabled but install the update regardless. Yes.
2: Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so they're too bad updates. It's not great, yeah. is it?
3: Well, we could go on, but let's just... with Windows and Windows 7 and stuff like that. But let's go to the next
0: topic. So talking about, uh, you know, exchange and managing exchange and things like that. So, Tom, you uh, had something about uh, uh, managing exchange 2013 with DSC and and a pull server. So what's that all about?
4: Yeah, yeah, I'm not really an exchange guy, but I thought this was kind of cool. So this is two PFE's inside of Microsoft to produce. It's kind of a community exchange DSC module. So it's not really from the exchange team, but it's been released as part of the waves of DSC resource. Um, For those that don't know DSC, it's kind of the next level of PowerShell. So it's having configuration scripts or configuration templates that are automatically
2: assigned to servers. The acronym acronym is Desired State Configuration? Yeah, that's right. Ah,
1: You know, I uh, I don't want to sound dumb and ask what what DSC stood for, so thanks.
4: Yeah, so so the idea is you can either push or pull these configs onto servers and then you can routinely check them and there's a service that runs that checks to see that the server is compliant and either tells you if it's not or goes ahead and changes the setting to make it compliant so it's to stop configuration drift and also to install services to make the server set up the way you want them to um and this this module that the, the pfes have written um is really about the latter a guy called uh, mike kendrickson and there's another whose name uh, i don't have in front of me um it's not about installing exchange for this mod uh, this dsc resource it's about setting the configurations and ensuring they're correct so they're dealing with some very big environments and there's lots of exchange settings that are set with PowerShell but there's also IAS settings and disk settings and other bits and pieces and and this DSC resource allows them to automatically set those and then have a policy server routinely check and reset those settings if any of them drift from what they want Um, and then they were saying around previous environments they've been in where even if they're set up perfectly particularly with exchange because it's got so many different places to set things configuration drift was a common common issue so I don't know if uh, any exchange guys kind of can relate to that as a as an issue in the exchange installs
0: well i like the idea of dsc and i, I have for a while i mean I, I like to think of it as some uh, sort of a, a quasi gpo method of pushing out configs and ensuring that they you know stay the same um so yeah
4: that's that's a good way to think about it um but with the ability to go and install MSIs if if services are missing, for example, mm-hmm. or Windows features, like really advanced stuff. Right. Um, it's on it's it's not on the Common Engineering Framework, so the product teams don't have to write DSC into their core products yet, but it's on the the step before that at the moment. So the early warning it's going to be on the common engineering framework. Um so you can imagine in future products we'll hopefully see this where there'll just be DSC resources, and you'll say, I want an Exchange server, I want a Link server, I want to do this, that, and the other, and boom, it'll just go off and provision it, basically.
3: Well, it's certainly something that that, uh, is on my um, to-do list to to investigate further, because I'm doing a lot of integration with Exchange, uh, or migration with Exchange, and uh, oftentimes you just forget one little uh, option in one server of five or 10 or whatever, and, and, uh, yeah, that c- can, uh, cost a lot. Sometimes it'll cost you some time when. I mean one server is acting strangely, you don't know why, and this kind of configuration could could be a solution to that, at least uh, what what I understand of it.
4: Yeah, no, def- definitely. It's worth taking a look. And you can run it in two modes. You can run it in a set mode or just a report mode. So if you're mm-hmm. dipping your toes in, you can start in the report mode and just have it tell you if the servers are not compliant if you don't kind of trust it to set those settings. And then as you get more confident, you can go into a set mode if you like.
3: Could, could you uh, theoretically make a um, sort of a uh, compliance script that you can run in in any environment? Uh, you need the DSC is
4: an actual like a service with PowerShell Five and um, and recent server, um, so and it literally has a an HTML. Kind of report that tells you whether you're in compliance or not. So it does all that for you, pretty much, to be honest. Mm, okay. But but the DSC resources are kind of a separate thing to PowerShell. So you write them with a slightly different syntax, um, but then you can have them go off and do their thing with this service, basically.
3: Interesting. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Hmm, great. Uh, that- Steve, uh, tell us about your ebook on uh, deploying and ma- managing Exchange 2013 high availability.
2: Uh, so this is a book that uh, Paul Cunningham uh, from Exchange Server Pro, Michael Van Hoerenbeek, a.k.a. Michael Van Hybrick, and I have written... Uh and is available via Exchange Server Pro now. And basically, it's so, putting together some real-world knowledge uh, and uh, especially some of the useful stuff Michael Van Hornbeek knows as AMCM, uh into one place that really aims to to give you all you need to know specifically focused on Exchange 2013 HA. Uh, it's available for, uh, now, and if you're listening just after the show is released, uh, then head over to Exchange Server Pro uh, as we have a 20% discount.
0: Great. Yeah, that's good stuff.
1: Great. Totally unsolicited opinion. It's really good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next, we wanted to take a few minutes and uh, and kind of do a deep dive on uh, uh, two topics. Uh, one is uh, Office three sixty five groups, and uh, the other is clutter. So, um, so Steve, you're kind of the guy that's going to going to field some of these questions. So tell us, what are Office 365 Groups?
2: Uh, So Office 365 Groups uh, basically gives you, similar to a Yammer group or a forum, uh, it gives you a discussion list inside OWA. Uh, It also gives you a matching calendar for the group, and it gives you a shared OneDrive for business area.
0: Oh, okay. And uh, what kind of features do you get for each group? Uh, so but if,
2: so when you create a group you can add it with a, a photo for the group, add members a bit like a distribution list, uh, and then you've got a shared calendar. Uh, just like a normal calendar that you get with a shared mailbox so you can add that to Outlook you can add it to OWA and all the members of that group are able to contribute and edit uh, the items inside the calendar so it could be uh, a group for a team and then you've got a team calendar you've got uh, a central not like a mailbox but you've got a central discussion list where people can contribute just a bit like in Yammer but without things like buttons for likes Uh, so you can have a discussion uh, feed inside a group. Then you can click through and, and see a bunch of shared files that only the people that are a member of that group have access to. Uh, again, that can be synced with OneDrive for Business, or you can edit
0: online and in the browser. So um, I- I'm trying to think of like some use cases for this. Um, what What's coming to mind?
2: Uh, well, if you were thinking of site mailboxes, then you might also want to think of Office 365 Groups, because if you were thinking of s- something like site mailboxes to give you somewhere to uh, keep shared files and allow conversation, then this might be a better fit. Uh, if you are creating shared calendar mailboxes at the moment, or using public folders for calendars, again, this might be a good fit. If you're not quite ready for Yammer yet, or you want something a little bit simpler to replace distribution groups, then, again, Groups might be a good fit,
0: or even potentially um, like persistent chat in Link, um, having a group instead of you know like a chat room.
2: Exactly, it has a chat feed, and uh, effectively you start a discussion thread, and then the chat flows from there.
0: Okay, uh, and,
3: and and do uh, when somebody joins later on, can they see the history of all those what happened yes. before?
2: Okay, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's 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 not like a distributionist it or oh, you can allow it to to uh, to send a message to everybody in the group so they also get an email as well for example if they're going to participate through outlook but the group always gets a message uh, oh, it's
3: so 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 a sort of a broadcast uh, feature
2: yeah so you so so when you create a group you've got some options and one of those can be to also send a copy of messages to the group to 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 the member as well however most people you'd expect to join the group and they'll see the full conversation history uh, of all the various discussions just like a forum, uh, but uh, not quite like Yammer in that they don't get polls, they don't get like buttons just yet.
0: Oh, but I like the like buttons. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, so that's obviously you the like, like button. Like.
0: I like like. <laughs> um, so then,
2: then you have to reply with a plus one.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, what kind of controls do you have from an administrative standpoint? So, the
2: the controls. I think there's been a couple of features released lately where in Office 365, the focus has been on bringing the user functionality to the to, to people first before bringing all the admin functionality. We've we've seen lots of organizations that we've worked at or uh, have worked with as as customers where if they are given new features, then they won't deploy them to clients. So Microsoft are obviously keen to see people use new features as quickly as possible. Uh, So there's not a ton of admin controls. However, you can switch them off if you need to, by changing the OWA mailbox policy and prevent people from creating new groups. Uh, You could, for example, switch them off before anyone's created any groups, and then there'll be no groups to see. Or you might want to only allow certain people to create groups, therefore you'd need to have multiple OWA mailbox policies, uh, with some users able to create groups and some not able to create groups.
0: Okay. And um, how is this implemented? I mean, uh, I'm trying to uh, figure out how they how this works. Um, so, for, from an exchange
2: perspective, you have a mailbox uh, for every group. Uh, it also shows an Office 365 as a group as well. Uh, but the core of it is a mailbox. The discussion feed is inside the inbox but but you can't view for example using an EWS or mappy editor you can't view the inbox it prevents you from accessing uh, the, the the group mailbox itself. So you can't have a poke around to see exactly how the messages are stored. But you can do, for example, a PowerShell command to see how many items are in the inbox, and you'll see that that relates directly to how many discussion and replies that there are. So it's all stored in there. The calendar is stored where you might expect, which is why you can add the calendar into Outlook. On the, uh, on the SharePoint side, the, the the shared documents are stored in a site library. So when you create a group, it creates a SharePoint site in Office 365 and it allows, uh, and when it creates the group in Office 365, uh, it creates the, the shared the SharePoint site, uh, but it puts a, a shim on top of it, uh, so it's branded as uh, as a OneDrive for business document library. Uh, so if you went to the path, it might be, for example, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash tenant name dot SharePoint dot com forward slash sites, Forward slash the group alias, then forward slash shared space documents. Uh, however, you won't see it as a normal SharePoint site. You'll, it'll look like a, a normal user's OneDrive for Business.
0: Hmm. Okay. Uh, do, you yeah, cool, no yeah. uh, do you see this? Yeah, pretty cool. I do. Yeah. Do you see this coming to on-prem deployments?
2: Uh, I don't know. To be honest, uh, I, I'd hope so. Uh, I think there's a lot of scope for it, and I think it could be very useful because, uh, you know, think of all the customers that. Uh, can't necessarily use Yammer because it's you know only based in the US or there's no route to move it back, move the data back to on-prem easily. Uh, the theory is if you look at groups, you should be able to move that content back to on-prem uh, or vice versa. And if you can move it to on-prem, then it should be implemented on-prem. I suppose we'll see what the next version of Exchange
0: and SharePoint bring. Hotmail for business, you mean? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, do you? S- do you see this as a, a permanent replacement for things like distribution groups or Yammer or, or Pchat? Uh, I, I don't
2: I don't know about persistent chats. Um, but you as link guys will know that it's, it's got some specific use cases that can't be easily replaced. Uh, I can't see replacing DGs in the immediate future uh, because although uh, DGs are good because it's easy to add external people to, uh, whereas groups at the moment are pretty focused on people within the organisation but I'd like to see it it as a replacement for that uh, I, I, you know, I, I understand exchange can't always be the same forever. However, it does seem to accumulate a lot of things uh, along the way. You know, it'd be nice to see some real evolution and some real new features that really did redefine the way we used it, rather than let's buy another product and tell everyone to use that instead.
4: I think it's interesting with these new tools that uh, there's no easy way to get away from distribution groups or distribution lists. So we use Yammer quite a lot internally, but there's no slick way to run a DL that's also a Yammer group. It, it's just a mess. If you try and add DL to a Yammer group, it reposts again and again. It thinks it's a new post every time. Yeah. I, I, hopefully this will be a little bit better. Same with pchat. In,
2: in, oh yeah, uh, definitely.
4: Link. You're either, you're in the pchat room or you're not. Yeah. Working via email with pchat just doesn't really work. There's, there's some third party stuff.
0: Well, but, it well, seems like, I mean, but you do have the ego feed, which really helps there too.
4: Yeah. The, 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 but the problem is, it's all you always want to integrate with people that refuse to use the tooling and they'll go, they'll use email. So you want a seamless way for the email people to keep using email and for the other people to use the tooling. And that's where it always falls down and everybody defaults back to DGs because they're the common denominator.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's where. That maybe they need to go. Well, DGs are no more. They, there is a mechanism <laughs> to tie tar- And you <laughs> that's, use, they use obviously to play to Yeah, yeah right. It's only have, like a
1: male tenant from the last 40 years,
2: right? <laughs> ah, ah, but you can subscribe. You can, <laughs> and and you remember the
3: public folders, the, the, the yes. things that they wanted to kill off. Ah. And,
2: How, however, mm. public folders are harder to kill off because they have content in them. A DG oh. stops existing the moment that it's deleted. We've moved our DEG seamlessly between Office 365 tenants that we use for organising the episodes. Uh, however, we wouldn't be able to use Office 365 Groups for organising the episodes because it wouldn't work with external recipients. So we couldn't uh, do and, it and now. That's, and that's my point, is
4: there's always a reason why you can't, Use a DG, and we use DGs. We have access to all this tooling, and we still use DG, so yeah. it needs to be slicker between anybody using plain email, any system, not even just Office 365 or just Exchange, and the newer tooling. Yeah, the system should pass emails and post them, basically, rather than you know doing nothing or making a mess of it.
2: Yes, yeah, so it is completely possible to do that with Office 365 Groups. It understands email because it is based on exchange. It lives inside an inbox. And if you create a group and you want it to feel like a DG to start with, then you have the option to, A, let people outside the organization email the group so you can have public members, add a contact to it, for example, and you could subscribe new members so they get an email every time a new message is posted so it works as a DG. So it, it can do that. But obviously, you don't have to have it. You could you could replace it. You could replace DGs pretty much with groups, but only Uh, internally. uh, You couldn't do it across company. uh, Let let me see if I can add. uh, uh, give me, give me a chance to have a look. Edit group, edit members shoot Where's the members? Oh. Uh, I can, I can have a look at this uh, because i have not actually tried to add external
4: members. Uh, one, I should one,
2: build. one to bring back to the next episode, then I guess.
4: Perhaps, if you yeah. could,
3: that
2: would, If you
4: could, that would be quite cool. But if you can't, then again, it's, it's for me. That's quite a big limitation.
2: Well, let's have a look. So I'm. Let me have you. So I've got you as a contact in the organisation. One newly added member. Save. And unfortunately, Tom, I think you are a member of my Office 365 group.
0: Uh, so yeah, do, yeah. I get,
4: do I get web access to that, or do I just get all the You just email. get emails. Right. Yeah, you just get emails. Cool. Well, we'll have a play with that and see how it works, then.
0: Yeah, very cool. So uh, uh, moving on, other than uh, the top of my desk, what is clutter? <laughs>
2: what? <laughs> uh,
0: so, so if
2: you've uh, – let's try to think of a way that doesn't make it sound bad. <laughs> so the, the idea is that it gives you a focused uh, feed of the inbox. Uh, so it takes out stuff that might not that you might want, but isn't relevant right now. So if, if you're the kind of person that has 300 or more unread messages, then they should end up in clutter. And you can go and have a look at those when you're ready. And all the stuff that that it thinks matters to you, the stuff it, it sees that you normally read, or the people you normally read it from, the topics you normally read about, it will it will leave those in the inbox. So when you look at your inbox, you don't have to skip past the, the 20 or 30 unread messages that mean nothing to you, and but you can't really delete straight away because it might be important later on. You can, you'll can you see just the stuff that matters.
0: So like smart filtering. Um, okay. Um, and, and how is it switched on or, or managed?
2: So, you have to be an Office 365 customer. It's rolling out, as I believe it, to English tenants at the moment uh, because of the way that the machine learning stuff works. Uh, and it's switched on on a use by user basis. They can switch on themselves in the OWA options.
0: Okay. And, and, oh, and Dave so says
2: it's, it works on Dutch tenants as well.
0: Okay. And so if. Uh if an admin goes and turns on a, a user for clutter, then it does. The user get an email or some sort of some sort of notification that they've been enabled for that.
2: Yes, yeah, so I think they need to have the help desk role on, uh, go into options and enable it from there. Uh, but the user will get an email and regular emails more clutter, uh, telling them that it's on and it's doing stuff and it's thinking about going. To, it's it's doing stuff. It'll keep on reminding them where to look. Uh, Microsoft are obviously quite worried uh, that important stuff is going to be moved and users won't know. Uh, So they keep on reminding you. So if you enable clutter and you don't get many emails, you'll get a whole bunch telling you clutter is enabled, it's doing stuff, and to go and have a look in your clutter folder. Okay. Uh, But the idea is a user enables it themselves. You can't mass enable it for all your users.
0: Okay. So um, other than other than just enabling it for users, what uh, what kind of controls do you have from an administrator point of view?
2: Uh, there's not really any at the moment. I don't believe you can get any statistics on it. I don't think there's a way in Office 365 to disable it completely.
0: Okay. And so if uh, while it's trying to figure out which you uh, pay attention to and which you don't, um, you know, from a um, behind the scenes. Uh, point of view, can the user help that logic by marking things as clutter or not clutter?
2: Yes. So, uh, if you're an Office 365 tenant and you've got the option to switch clutter on, it's already learning what you do. So, it's already processing things in the background. But when you switch clutter on, you get a mark as clutter, mark not as clutter button. Unfortunately, those are only in OWA. Uh, for I don't know why, but they didn't decide to make these as OWA apps which would have worked on mobile, would have worked on uh, Outlook out 2013 and of course in AWA, they decided to build them straight as old style sort of buttons inside the user interface uh where the user can go in and mark as clutter, mark as not clutter and help train it. But yeah, the, the only option of the
1: user is like to just accept, you can separate the items identified as clutter or not.
2: So. Yeah, the idea is that people shouldn't have to do anything because... That if you're switching on something that's making your life easy, you shouldn't have to train it. Uh, that's the whole point of machine learning, surely.
0: So I'm 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 trying to think through, uh, you know, kind of a, a user interface um, scenario here. And how is clutter different than like uh, junk mail? Um, You know, obviously, junk mail is only going to move stuff into the junk mail folder or, you know, and you can you can help the logic there by marking things as not spam or marking it as spam. But, um, you know, what's what's the big difference between similar similar sort of similar sort of logic there, Uh, whereas the theory
2: is with junk email, it's one step further. You probably don't want it at all. Uh, So you but you might want something that's clutter. Uh, So it's so that there is a there's a difference between the two. Junk email is a lot more established, and you've got all the buttons in the Outlook client as well. You haven't got all the buttons uh, to mark things as clutter, not as clutter, but they look very similar. So they, they're both j- just like the junk email folder. The clutter fol- is an actual folder inside Exchange. Yeah. That means it works on all clients. If you're trying to find your clutter and you're using a uh, random Android phone, iPhone, whatever, you can go straight into your folder list, and you'll see a clutter folder there waiting for you to examine all those emails.
1: Does it use SELs? I mean, do you know any mechanics of how it?
2: I I don't filters? believe so. No, I no. I think this is one of the reasons why it's, it they say it's not coming to on-premises because there's something there's some big you know HAL type thing in the background that's uh, that's <laughs> doing its own thing and it doesn't take into account what you do. There's not. I'm sorry. Steve, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I can't... People who, who read the message and go, no, that's <laughs> correct. <the> right? <laughs> Put it in a folder. Yeah, because <laughs> the, the, theoretically, because I was thinking about that. If it was similar to to, to spam marking and didn't require knowledge of how long it took you to read something, whether you had left something unread, uh, then you know, if it wasn't thinking about what you do with email. And it was looking at the different types of e- email. For example, with uh, a company, it's, it it goes, oh, that's, a, that's sent to a distribution list. It's probably not worth putting in the focus for you. It's, it's trying to be a bit more intelligent than that. So I don't think there's, th- at the moment, SELs and stuff like that. Um, but
0: so is the, is the think, logic thing based um, per user or per tenant? or?
2: As far as I understand, it's completely per user. Okay. Uh, so if so if if you you if you see an email from your ceo and you never read it and you always delete it uh, or you stick it into your archive folder then it'll probably get marked as clutter um but uh, everyone else who religiously reads the ceo's email uh, it won't move into clutter
0: and and you know we talked about uh, the acquisition by microsoft of accompli earlier and it's got that focused mailbox uh feature um you know does that come into play here
2: uh, it it won't have any effect but obviously it'll be interesting to see what Microsoft do with that. Because uh, one thing I noticed about the focus view is it's very, very quick uh, to, to start showing everything. You don't have to wait. And it's and because it's based on on people understanding what a Yahoo mailiness looks like, for example, you know that their logic is as I understand it, from having a quick look at a company, it's not quite as complicated. It's not quite as uh, it doesn't use the, the same sort of AI engines that uh, Clutter uses. So we'll see. You know, will a company just have a Clutter button, and they'll get rid of their Focus View, or will Microsoft uh, decide that that's a better term?
0: Who knows? Hmm. Okay, interesting. Uh, But you do have to be an O365 user in order to get that.
2: You certainly do, yes. So uh, it's not in CU7. Uh, (laughs) The secret thing is added. (laughs) No, uh, the clutter button
0: isn't there. Okay, great. Well, thanks for the info, Steve. Uh, Moving on to uh, link topics. A big thing that came out last week is uh, the December cumulative update update. for Link Server 2013, it's the fourth month in a row that there has been a yeah, CU released for Link, so I'm kind of digging it that uh, they're coming out a little more often, so uh, definitely check it out. I don't have a list of things that f- that it fixed, um, uh, but I'll try to get it up on the uh, uh, the summary page for the episode.
1: Well, you must not have to worry about change controls because I can tell you what, every month is getting kind of a pain in the ass, <laughs> getting it <laughs> well, scheduled and getting approved.
0: <laughs> well, y- y- you know what's interesting is, uh, is I built a new customer environment um, in the morning, and the update came out in the afternoon. <laughs> it, was, it was already <laughs> patched and everything. So, um, But um, good, good to see that. So uh, next up um, – Passive Auth for the Link Twenty Thirteen uh, Android app. So, has anybody played with this yet? John, you're a big Android guy, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I have the, I've had the client for for a bit now. Um, yeah, I mean, there was that anonymous join. or was a couple other things, right? That were added. yeah,
0: contact management um, and stuff. Yeah, like that.
1: only for 365. That's actually kind of a big deal because I think right now that's the only platform that has it, right? Um, but it's only for online right now.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure, so I thought I read that because that's a huge deal because that's one thing that's most annoying about all the mobile clients is that you can't, you know, you're stuck with what you have. If you need to add somebody, you you can't. You have to go to desktop, so um, that's kind of a big deal. But I have actually been able to test it. Actually, I can, though. <laughs> I just thought about that. I can't test it, but <laughs> I haven't yet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Who would have thunk that John would be using, uh, you know, Google products?
1: <sighs> hey, I, I'm an equal opportunity
0: hater. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, and speaking of mobile clients, um, an update for the Windows Phone uh, client for Link 2013 now includes uh, some some extra options for uh, voice. So now you have uh, uh, a VoIP always option that will use uh, Wi-Fi if available, and uh, uh, VoIP over Wi-Fi only, so it won't let it use the uh, the cellular connection and um and just cellular so you can uh you have some options there for how you want to handle your voice calls using the link client so um glad to see some uh, flexibility coming out there
1: yeah um, that's kind of a big deal because it's hard in some you know in, you know in, in in organizations where you want to kind of control it's not i mean obviously you know you could you know you could you might want to turn that on for data you know data you know uh usage reasons right you don't want to carve chart cut into your plan too much um, but a lot of it too is just a policy-based thing where you just want to say, hey, you know, you know, so to you know, in an, an organization that you want to have very, f- you know, very focused to get the best opportunity in a link call, do the following. You know, it's it's nice to have that option so we can, you know, you can document that and say, hey, when you're making a call off your Device, you know, have this set this way, you know?
4: Yeah, yeah. I think b- before there was, there was, uh, it was, if you put Wi Fi calling on, it would assume all Wi Fi was equal. So it's fine when you're at home and you know the Wi Fi is good. But if you're in Starbucks and you don't know the Wi Fi is good, you probably want to fail back to GSM anyway. So now it gives the user that flexibility. What What would be nice is if it looked at, wi-fi networks and you could choose individuals but i guess that's a little bit geeky and uh, granular for the average user
0: well you know what's nice too is uh um having gone uh overseas a couple months ago is you you know i can look at this and say hey this is kind of nice because you could set it to be uh, wi-fi only and not have to worry about roaming costs or things like that so you know save some money there as well um, okay. Uh, next, a uh, big announcement uh, that came out out of the uh, the Skype uh, product group was you can now do video calling between Skype and Link. So, who's been playing around with this? Who's been Skyping people?
1: I checked it out as a test uh, and kind of playing around to see the capability. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. Um, I mean, again, it's funny because we've been, pr- been promised it for so long. Somewhere in my head, I just thought it would work already. You know? <laughs> I forgot that we still didn't have it until right now because it's been so long since they've been talking about it. But uh, it's pretty cool. You know, it's. Uh, uh, quality seems good, um, it's only peer-to-peer, um, and obviously there's no desktop sharing or anything like that, but but uh, it's certainly a good step forward, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think as long as you're, you know, if you're already configured for um Connectivity between Skype and Link. There's nothing new for you to do uh, for the users to be able to utilize this functionality, which is kind of nice. You know, you don't have to go back and and change a bunch of things. And you know, John, you mentioned a change control a minute ago. It's uh, if you're already set up for it, it's it's great. If you need to configure your environment for um, for Skype federation, uh, it's like two lines of code, so um, it, it's pretty straightforward.
1: Yeah, and you know, and that, that brings the question. I mean, so right now, the, the you still have to go through the pick process to. To enable Skype, right? mm mm-hmm. uh, Federation with your link organization. Well, not, well
0: not. that uh, I, I don't think that applies if you're already set up for Messenger, though, does it?
1: No, right, right. You still have to initially make that one first-time
0: right, right. connection, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so once that's done, it's 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 really right. uh, pretty straightforward. And if you're building new environments, my uh, prereq script uh, has an option yes, there, option 28 that. for that.
1: <laughs> well, I, I see this as a dri- driving adoption for people to, to, to hook that up, too, because I think this is kind of a big deal in terms of... You know, some people are like, "Ah, eh, what I really do? I really need, you know, public kind of connectivity right now." But I think this is going to be one of those things that will that, drive a lot of people signing up for
0: it that may have not have already had it hooked up. Right. Um. Yeah. And 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 it'll be nice. We'll have to uh, we'll have to play around with it some more and, and kick the tires. Uh, so, John, uh, you're our resident Mac guy. So tell us about this uh, December 2014 hotfix for the Link client.
1: Yeah. There's a couple. Well, actually, there's a. It's a. You know. A, it fixed a few problems. The biggest one of them all was was severe, slow um screen refreshes on Yosemite um, uh, for desktop share. So that actually is kind of a big deal. Um, uh, so I would recommend if you have any inti- you know if you're on Yosemite, I, I get it immediately because it noticeably um, changes the how how fast it runs um because it was pretty much close to useless <laughs> you know, on Yosemite. Um, it wasn't that bad, but the redraws were really, really slow. And if you ever use link Mac, redraws weren't you know, even when they're working right, they aren't the fastest thing in the world. So you noticeably saw how bad it was until you had this update installed.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's about the only time I ever boot up my Mac is to install link updates and make sure it doesn't break anything. That's about, <laughs> about it.
1: I love the new Outlook uh, for Mac. I mean, I, it's 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 pretty awesome. Just as an aside. Hmm.
0: Um. Tom, tell us about capturing string output from uh, GetCS pool Fabric state. Uh,
4: Yeah, this is another probably a little bit of a niche one. So um, (laughs) it's something that's annoyed me for a long while. Uh, Fabric for for the uninitiated is what controls how users and various other resources are distributed over a link pool. So if you've got multiple FEs, users are distributed and your data system, of those FEs. Um, and if it goes bad, then your life is really bad. So this this command that gets the Spool fabric state tells you the health of the fabric, how it's balanced, which are the primaries and secondaries. Um, but agonizingly it writes its output direct to the PowerShell host um, rather than doing the correct thing, which is for it to write out an object or even the slightly less correct but still better thing of writing a string to the PowerShell output. Um, It actually writes direct to the host. So there was no decent way to capture that if you were doing a reporting script or you wanted to act on that data or check that data. Um, And it was actually um, Desmond Lee put a post up about how you could capture that with... um, I think he was doing, uh, transcripts and some other methods where he was doing copy paste. It was, a, he, he could do it, but it wasn't the slickest, um, which got me thinking about it again. And I found another post where someone had come across a similar issue. And basically, if you spin up a dedicated host to run the commandlet, you can capture all output from that host, including what's written to the host and therefore. We can grab that output and parse it and select string and do whatever we need to do on it. Yeah, it's cool because that's
1: I mean that's annoying. Um, you know, you, you you get that one great script or or command and, you, and it gets the data you want, but and it's on the screen, but you can't get it out anyway. You know, there's some command lines that are not really good at piping and stuff. So it's like, uh, what do you do in those cases when you really want to bring that somewhere? You know, that data somewhere else.
4: Yeah, this technique will work to anything that outputs to the, to the screen potentially, yeah, so cool. it could be handy. Yeah, actually, I ran in. i trying to make a
1: kind of a user list, and I found a really great script, but it was basically, you know, there was no way to par- I couldn't find a way to parse it to anything so I could get into it, you know, like CSV. And um, this is kind of a cool way to think about doing that.
3: Yeah, yeah, a, a lot of a
4: lot of people that write scripts initially write to the host directly because that's the simplest thing to understand and do. Um, so yeah, if you find third-party scripts that do write host, then this would capture that data potentially. Right
0: if you follow right. some of the people like uh, Jeff Hicks, uh, you know that uh, right host is evil. <laughs>
4: yeah. Is that like
1: like just not, like a sort of a PowerShell Don't know, no. Yeah, like that's a, that's enough. Yeah. Is it?
0: Yeah. Doesn't follow the pipeline.
4: Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, this is something that will get fixed in in future versions. I must admit, I haven't raised the ticket or chased it or anything so if anybody's more diligent than me and wants to do that that would be a good thing
0: cool uh two quick announcements um a support statement has been released for running um web application proxy as a reverse proxy if it's installed on uh, server 2012 r2 so that is now officially supported for link um and that's nice um a web application proxy is kind of the The error apparent to the application, uh, the, um, what it's called, I call it Pirate Proxy, um, ARR. ARR? Yeah, there's no more development done on ARR, so um, web application uh, proxy is kind of the method that you need to use if you're going to use a Windows server as your reverse proxy. So it's nice to see the support statement finally come out about that. We'll have a link to that uh, on the summary page. Uh, next up, there is a uh, an update out for the Link 2010 client. Uh, it actually, came out in November, but it's uh, it was released after our last episode, so um, it's out. It, it's got a couple of bug fixes in it, nothing spectacular. So we'll have a link out for that. Um, next, uh, something that uh, I get asked every once in a while by some Link guys is about the Silk the Silk protocol. Um, so Silk is you know kind of uh, from the Skype side of the 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 family there and uh, uh it was enabled in the link client for skype to link connectivity and uh, our our uh, mvp colleague uh, jeff shirts has written a uh, substantial post as most of his are uh on um how silk audio is used in the link mobile clients so um yes good good article yeah good stuff as as you know jeff's stuff always is it's, uh, it's very in depth and uh gives you everything that you need to know about it so um uh, so check that out. Uh, next up, uh, the good, the bad, and the annoying about link SBAs. Um, our buddy over at Flinchbot had uh, uh, has written up a pretty good article. John, you uh, you took a look at that?
1: Yeah, I it was. It's a good article. I mean, and, uh, you know, SBAs are sort of um, you know um, a thing. <laughs> I mean, they're great. You know, they're well you know they're they're well understood now. But there's a lot of things with them that are just totally. You know, it's a forked kind of thing. You know, what I mean, in my opinion. But um, and you know, and it's a question of. So you bring really good points. I mean, you know, when to use them. Why this? Why is the process got to be so convoluted in some ways? Because you're know, you're mixing, you know, the the link updates with with uh, third party wrappers uh, to get those updates on them. And if you screw them up, you could you know, he'll lose the bu- device and stuff like that. I mean, there's some really good points to it. <laughs> you know, and whether or not is make more sense in the long term, anyway, you know. But some some really good stuff. It's definitely you know, uh, if you haven't have deployed, you want to check it out. Um, and if you haven't, you know, it might steer you toward not deploying SBAs and maybe looking at spas or even look at a standard edition for for uh, for a location too, as opposed to you know, an SBA. But uh, so definitely worth checking out.
0: And and speaking of uh, SBAs and appliances and stuff for branch offices. Uh, um, as well as uh, appliances for data centers, uh, the Sonus SBC v4 firmware.
1: Yeah, Greg Sheridan uh, put it was up the other day. I didn't, I didn't even hear about it. Um, I caught it on Twitter, and he wrote a little article about um, you know just installing it. But so, so you know, it's, it's kind of a big deal. Version four firmware for Sonus one K and two uh, one thousand, two thousand SB, SBCs. Um, um, all HTML five. I mean, I, I you know I just, usual bug fixes and and, and 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 like that. And Tom, I don't, Tom might know if there's some more functionality, but. Uh, uh, Greg covers most of that in the article but uh, the big thing is HTML5 no more java and if you've ever used version 3 you know i mean you know Sonos does a really good job with their their firmware generally i i think they're way ahead of from other vendors personally but um but uh, you know they have this a live monitor kind of thing and it uses java for that and if you know if everyone's if everyone's got stuck with java and if you got a jump host and it's not the right version you've got to add exceptions it's just a pain um, this does away with that in all, in all HTML5. Um, I haven't deployed it yet, but, um, Greg's article really will, well, give you some idea of, you know, what, what you need to do and stuff like that and backing up and all that. But pretty cool news.
4: Any Yeah. The, <laughs> so the, the other cool thing it has, it has a, um, ability to, um, also, uh, like gracefully flush the service down. Ah, like the a train. A gr- train yeah. Cool. yeah, exactly. So you that's can. cool drain the gateways and patch them in hours now without having to do that thing where you just watch them and try and catch them when they're not there. <laughs> <Click. So, Nope. laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and the HTML thing's awesome. Now you can run it on a server and look at the real live calls without having Java on the server and nobody wants Java on their server really, do they? Java's evil, no. evil. God no.
1: Well, we've covered this a bunch of times too. I mean, you know, like I said, and you know, like Vic, Vic's uh, PowerShell add-ons for for Sonas to be able to manipulate and you know, look at the devices via PowerShell. I mean, this re- is I know it's okay. Some people do get excited about about about, about uh, gateway firmware. Sorry, <laughs> I'm one of those people. But I mean, it's it's really cool stuff, you know.
0: Yeah, very cool. I'm I'm glad they got rid of Java. I mean, I'm I'm a big Sonos fan as well, so it's nice to uh, nice to see that that's been re- replaced. And I think we'll see HTML5 replacing a lot more stuff in uh uh, from java so um and that does it for link topics um we do have one event that we want to mention uh kind of far off and i'm sure we'll mention it uh, on future episodes but uh uh, uc day uh, uk september 28th 2015 um uh, steve and andrew and and everybody's kind of working on this um it's going to be a great day of uh, of link content and exchange content and things like that. Uh, so they've got a Facebook page. We'll get the uh, the address up in the summary page of the episode. So stop by and uh, um, hopefully you can attend and uh, and and meet up with some of our uh, group. And uh, that does it for this particular episode of the UC Architects. Uh, thanks again to uh, everybody that stopped by, John and Dave and Michelle and Steve and Tom. It was great having you guys here. Um, My pleasure. It's
1: been way too long.
0: <laughs> and thanks to uh, Andrew, who gets the uh, the unenviable task of editing <laughs> our uh, shenanigans here. Um, The UC Architects episode is sponsored by Instant Technologies, experts in enterprise click-to-chat and e-discovery solutions. Instant Technology announces Instant Chime for Microsoft Link. Transform your service desk with Chime and move your support operations from endangered species to wise enterprise. Start your Chime trial at adchime.com and join the conversation on Twitter via at TeamInstant. And of course, this episode is also uh, sponsored by Enow. Enow is offering all UC Architect listeners a free $50 Amazon gift card when you install MailScape for Exchange or Uniscope for Link. Enow's award winning dashboard helps admins quickly and effectively monitor servers and create custom reports. Try Mailscape or Uniscopes free 21-day trial. Get a $50 gift card, which would be great about this time of year while you do your Christmas shopping, and see how eNow makes admin life simplified. Simply visit the link in the blog post to sign up. And finally, before we go, as ever, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Of course, uh, visit our website today at theucarchitects.com. Follow us on Twitter at theucarchitects. Uh, be a friend and like us on Facebook at facebook.com/theucarchitects text and our group on linkedin and uh, of course we uh we took uh, steve read a bunch of uh, comments from our group earlier so uh feel free to uh to drop your comments there uh if you haven't subscribed to the podcast uh, already you'll find us in the itunes store the zune marketplace uh, search for us in the new WinPhone 81 podcast app or subscribe to the podcast using the RSS feed in your favorite downloader, such as Outlook. See our webso- uh, website for links to everything on the show today. We'll see you back uh, for the next episode with Steve Hosting.